All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. It is volume three of the Effort Weekly from the boys from NC Fit, Matt De La Bally and Gabe Giannis. Today, we dive into this idea of handstand push-ups. Should you do them? Should you not? What's going on with them? Do you need a deadlift more than your body weight? Good question. Do we need to measure power output? And then finally, our buddy Stu talks about this idea of retiring from the micro gym space Want to dive into a few thoughts here, and then he will also be on the podcast. So make sure you guys check that out, especially if you're a gym owner out there. Now, before we dive into the episode, as usual, I have a simple ask. Screenshot it, share it, leave us a rating review, and it gives us an idea of what are you looking for? Let us know if there's a subject we should dive into and hit up Gabe, MDV, and myself on social. Would love to hear from you guys. Let's keep rising the tides. Let's keep getting after it. Keep training hard. Put in the effort, and let's go for volume three. It's right, official. So I, so I know we wanted to talk about this last time. We ran out of time. It was such a good conversation. Handstand pushups. MDB, I know you posted something, got a bunch of, I guess, feedback questions, probably some, some more ridiculous than others. Do you need to get upside down for fitness? Oh, wow. We're getting right into it today. Jumping, jumping right into the lion's den. Right hey, into it. Hey, MDV, look at that. Look oh, at that, buddy. product placement. Product, product placement. placement. Lastportcoffee.com. Lastportcoffee.com. <laughs> um, no, this is a really, it's an interesting topic for me because I think, um, you know, over the years, my opinion has changed on this. Um, you know, I'm going to preface the, the conversation by saying anything that's important to the athlete in terms of what they want to accomplish as a personal goal is important enough for them to pursue it. You know, so if somebody comes into the gym and they go, I really want to be able to do a handstand because, you know, my teenage daughter is getting into gymnastics and I think it would be really cool if we could take a handstand pick together. And that's the only thing that I ever wanted to do, you know, with her, I would say, hell yeah, let's figure out how we can progress you the right way to getting you upside down and on your hands and uh, get that picture taken in a safe and efficient manner. If that same person walked into the gym and they were, let's just say they're, you know, a, a mid, mid forties man or woman, doesn't matter. Uh, they are generally athletic, but you know, maybe they haven't worked out in a long time and they say, Hey, you know, I see a lot of people getting upside down on their hands. And, um, you know, is that something that I really need to do for my fitness? I, mean, I would ask them some questions about, you know, what's important to them and whether or not you know, this seems to be something that they want to accomplish personally. But for the most part, I would probably shy away and say, like, that's probably not somewhere where we have to really put a tremendous amount of focus. There's so much other things that we can do and a lot of money that we can put in the bank to build that hedge for you of fitness to go out and live your life and, you know, do it freely and fully. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that for that individual and for a lot of individuals that being on your hands is something that has a tremendous amount of benefit. Uh, you know, in particular, I think when you're thinking about the hands, the kipping handstand pushup, and you're talking about the impact to the cervical spine and, you know, people doing those improperly and coaches having a hard time really regulating the, the speed or the intensity of those. There's a lot of situations that I see are probably unnecessary. Um, and it's not like the, I'm saying that the handstand is not an awesome ultimate expression of power and control of the upper body and your midline and being able to demonstrate some really cool stuff. It is. I'm just saying that for most people, 
being upside down on your hands is not really necessary in terms of what they'll need to do outside of the gym. And you can replicate that with other more safer means. So it's not the most functional way to get overhead strength. That, that, that's what you're saying. Because isn't well, that what someone replied to? It's a functional way to get overhead strength, but I don't think it's necessarily the most practical way to get overhead strength. I don't think it has a, a super tremendous amount of carryover into everyday life in terms of like if I wanted to replicate a shoulder to overhead type of pattern for a normal individual or overhead stability for a normal individual, I would have them hold odd objects. I would have them control a barbell, dumbbells, kettlebells, you know, thinking about somebody putting the common situation is you want to be able to put your luggage into the overhead compartment uh, without any assistance. If I had uh, that same person, 45 year old male or woman who was struggling to do that, I would probably start to get them some more core strength, more upper body strength, teach them functional patterns to get something from the ground to the waist, the shoulder, and then pressing it overhead. I wouldn't have them go, all right, well, the first thing I want you to do is flip upside down against the wall and learn how to control your body weight on your hands. That is like a long light year journey away from ever really needing to do that. You know, I think that MDV brings up something really interesting and in, in this idea of um, we only have so much time in the gym, most people. Um, there's others that live in the gym, but for most people, most of the time, you know, on average, when we look at our members across the globe, uh, we're talking about probably two to three visits a week in, in our gyms. Now, the average garage gymmer, I imagine is a little, maybe a little bit more, maybe, but let's just say that's three or four hours a week of, of functional training. Plus they probably do other stuff. Let's just say, well, if I'm a coach or if I'm trying to really develop their capacity, where do I want to spend time on to develop either certain skills or prerequisite strength? For me, if I had an athlete come in three days a week, one hour a day, I probably wouldn't spend much time on the handstand. I'd rather spend more time on other movements. I think pack more of a punch. That all being said, if that's a skill they want to develop or learn, I think you should have the tools in your toolbox to be able to do that for them. But I don't think it's for everybody all the time, especially for those people with limited time and uh, exposure to movements. That's why we created the NCX program, right? It's because NC Metcon's awesome, but not everybody wants to or has the time to develop any competency across more of these complex movements. And I think just being aware of that and um, asking yourself, hey, if you have someone come in, what could I do to provide the greatest impact on their fitness? And I don't know if handstands go into that realm, assuming you have limited time. If you have all the time in the world, hell yeah, get it. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Continue. Well, I was going to ask a, a, a question kind of taking us. So if you wanted to say something else. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I, even if you are running a program that has complexity in it, like NC Metcon, you know, you're running a program, let's say you're running GPP and there are days that handstands show up because you have a portion of your population that wants to get upside down, that has the prerequisite strength and the, the skill to do it. And you've done a really good job of kind of ramping people up. You should also have the awareness that there's probably people in the room that might not necessarily ever be interested in that. Or you have people in the room that might not be at that place where you can introduce that skill. So you, you have to have a general awareness. And I think that having this like really one way of thinking about fitness where it's like, no, it says handstands on the board. So everybody today, no matter what, we're gonna try to get you upside down in some way, shape or form, even if it's in a pipe position on the box, I don't necessarily think that that's the best route for everybody. You just have to have more awareness about 
this person who is of this sort of background with these sort of either limitations coming in probably doesn't even need to be doing that. They probably just need to be worried about holding a plank or doing a normal push-up, or worried about holding something on their body or holding an object overhead. Uh, it's just a bridge too far for me in terms of what some people might ever have to do. I'll, uh, I'll just say one more thing on this and we could probably move on. But I do think that for the people who strive to get one, it is a big ass deal when they get upside down. I remember I had one woman. Sure. So uh, I remember I had one woman. This is years and years ago. I'll never forget. We were working on handstands for a long time and she would never do, never even get near the wall. So finally, one day I'm like, listen, I know you want to do this. Uh, if you didn't, I wouldn't be forcing you. Let me like, basically I held her around her waist and assisted her like six inches up. Then the next time we met, I held her around the waist, went like three feet up, whatever it was. Eventually it was a couple months later, we got her upside down and the joy on her face and the ability to complete that task. She hadn't been upside down since she was like six years old. And for that person at that moment, it was like the greatest thing she'd ever accomplished. And um, so I think just having that awareness with your athletes is super, super important. But the kipping handstand pushup is one that I kind of have a conflict with, not conflict, but I would be really cautious the amount of exposure you have to kipping handstand pushups. I think strict handstand pushups definitely have their place. I think getting upside down for adults definitely has their place if they want to learn that skill. But when you're ramming your head and I'm holding my hand up saying, dude, I've done a lot of these. When I was training for the games, I'd be on parallettes and I'd be trying to get, let's just say, I mean, I was at the CrossFit games actually slamming my head into a plate because I was trying to get more of a drive back up and looking back on it, that probably wasn't the best thing for my neck at the time. So I would avoid that if I was most people. <laughs> I, I, I will never do another kipping handstand pushup probably in my life. Uh, and, you know, it for some people, if you do them properly and you, you know, take the right precautions and you have the right kind of descent into the kick back up and you're not slamming your neck into the ground. Okay. Yeah. I understand that it's certainly a skill where you're using hip momentum to drive and, you know, do more reps in less amount of time. I would ask just about anybody, is it really necessary to be doing those? Um, but maybe a topic for another day going down that path. Well, I mean, I think it is, it is worth exploring a little bit more because I'm curious, you know, how do you guys think that we got here? Like, how did we get to this point that, you know, certain movements, because we get a lot of flack about like up down. Uh, why, why don't we have, you know, handstand pushups more? Why aren't rope climbs all the time? Like, you know, we have a big community of functional fitness, CrossFit gyms, you know, how do we get to the point where, you know, it's like, well, if you're not including these, we're not doing fitness. We're not helping people. We're not giving them these new skills that are so important. Um, yeah, I'm just curious, like what, what, how has that become so deeply ingrained in like what, crossfit or functional fitness is supposed to be which like really if you dissect it like it's it's anything right it's just being functional it's just people moving let me set the stage for um you know just a little bit about what we do programming wise and then we can kind of take the conversation from there so at nc fit we have a number of different programs we have an nc metcom program which is our version of gpp general physical preparedness which is probably the most akin to like a traditional 
functional fitness, CrossFit style program. It has the potential for really high complexity. You can go super short, you can go super long. You can see some simple movements. You can see very complex movements, very heavy loads, very light loads. We also program that with a unique NC fit signature on it based on what we feel is quote unquote appropriate and, and probably most beneficial for gym owners out there who want to run a successful, effective GPP style program in their gyms. And we service a lot of gyms that run CrossFit style programs. So in that program, we do have handstand pushups occasionally. We do have handstand walking occasionally. We do have squat snatching. We do have heavier loads. We do have things like pull-ups. Sometimes we will note uh, gymnastics kipping pull-up or strict kipping pull-up. But we do see a lot of other things in that program that might not necessarily exist in like a traditional quote unquote CrossFit program. We do a lot of things that involve more static hold with strength and stability. We do a lot of strict work. We also offer multiple options when any of those more complex movements come up, we put them actually in the workout text that, hey, there's an option that you can do a strict dumbbell press instead of the handstand pushup. You can do a overhead hold instead of the handstand pushup today. So we are servicing a community that does have athletes that do want to express these skills. So we provide them an option, but we also provide options for people who might never want to express those skills. In addition to that program, we have other programs that never go there, that never get involved in that kind of conversation about complexity. The NCX program will never have handstand pushups in it. It will never have squat snatching in it. It will never have the mega loads that you might see in NC Metcon. We have an NC Go program that, again, all dumbbells, all really functional movements, but doesn't necessarily have the same kind of complexity and a few others uh, to go along with. But long story short is that, you know, I think that we have figured out what works for us. We have people that want to come in and do some more complex style stuff. We'll coach them the right way. We will also give them options if there's people who don't want to do it. But we also have other programs that don't touch that stuff at all. I want to open it up to Jason, give him yeah. uh, some time here to chat as well. Well, I think MDV did a good job describing our programs, but I think the, the which, which lays the framework for what I'm going to say, the heart of what you're asking is why do people gravitate towards complexity, at least from an owner perspective, right? And I think what it is, is that they, they think that the more complex stuff maybe makes them, gives them an opportunity to, to be smarter, maybe gives them an opportunity to coach more when really it's these simple movements that I think you could really dive into that provide a big impact. And I see this a crossover in jujitsu, actually MDV and I were talking about this in jujitsu. Oftentimes a coach will start with the basic fundamental movement. And then out of nowhere, he'll go from, or she, whoever will go from like a fundamental movement and they'll want to gravitate towards something more complex. And I think it's just a natural inclination from from people who have awareness of these more you know complex things that they always want to strive towards those whether they realize it or not and so i think owners they think that if their program doesn't combine these more complex movements is not a complete program when in reality if you look at it at least for me when i was looking at our programming the average member comes in two or three days a week so if you snatch once every i don't know couple weeks how long is it going to take you to develop the competency to be able to perform it? Let's focus on some more of the fundamentals and maybe touch on those for the people who come in more often, which is why we have a variety of different programs. But I think that owners gravitate towards more complexity because I think it, I think they think they need to, when in reality, 
from our experience, they need to focus on things that provide a bigger impact for most people most of the time, in my opinion. It's also, I think, harder sometimes for coaches to create excitement about more simple movements. 100%. Right? And, I, and I think that when you, when you take a class with a coach who is excellent, who is going to blow your mind no matter what's on the whiteboard, that workout could be uh, strict Cindy where you have push-ups, strict pull-ups, and air squats. And that coach will be able to create the best 60 minutes of your life. Now, you might have another coach out there who will look at that workout and go, this is probably the most boring workout that I've ever seen in my life. And they're going to make the workout experience probably pretty boring for everybody who's standing there in class that day. But if that workout, let's say it was, hey, you're going to do squat snatch, uh, heavy squat snatch into a handstand pushup plus squat snatch uh, light barbell. That, co that coach might go, all right, we're going to get fired up because we're going to do some really sexy stuff today. We're going to be getting upside down. We're going to be snatching a barbell. I think it's easier for some coaches sometimes to get fired up about the more complex movements because I think also borrowing from what Jason said, they are able to demonstrate that they know about these things. They know how to do them. They can perform them. And it looks a little bit like more alluring to the eye. There's also some, I think when athletes see this stuff, I think there's a portion of athletes who maybe see CrossFit on ESPN or, you know, they watch some clips on the games. They see people doing these really fantastic, amazing things. And there is probably a, a small percentage, but a percentage of people who go, I want to do that. I want to get upside down. I want to snatch big weight. I want to do these kinds of things. And there is a sexiness to them that is easier to tap into sometimes for coaches because it's just natural. Then, all right, well, let's look at what your plank position looks like and how do you do your push-up and how do you do a strict pull-up? That's not as easy to get people fired up about if you don't know how to do it. And you took the words right out of my mouth because that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Like, is there an athlete side to this where they're getting, you know, this image of what this type of training is and they're going to look like a CrossFit Games athlete. And so this is what I want to do. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. You know, I remember active life who, you know, we're, we're, we're friends with posted something a, a little while back. That's kind of similar in, 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 in the same vein. And, and I wanted to get your guys's opinion on it and I'm going to misquote it, but roughly what they said, and, you know, they do a good job at kind of, you know, being a ruffling a little feathers with their social media posts, which I actually like what they do. Essentially what their post was, was you only need to deadlift your body weight getting any stronger is just ego. Like wanting to get anything past a certain point is just ego. And I guess what I'm curious is, you know, when it comes to not the complexity side, but the getting certain numbers on your squat, your press, your deadlift, is there a level that, you know, people should get to for all the things that we're talking about, about being fit for life? And is anything else, like does the risk reward of getting a 400 pound deadlift ever start getting to the point where maybe it doesn't make sense for most people? It, de it depends on your goals. I think, I think that for some people building those lifts up to be extraordinarily higher than their body weight makes sense for them. You know, I think in terms of what Jason and I do in jujitsu, there is a level of strength building that I want to be able to have or strength training that I want to be able to have that's above being able to deadlift my body weight. I understand what they're saying in terms of uh, active life in that post where they're saying most people, when they go out and they live their everyday lives, 
they're never they're never approached with a 315 pound barbell that they have to pick up multiple times and then go and do something else in terms of functionality they probably need to be able to move their body weight maybe a little bit more um, and they need to be able to move it really well i understand that but you know there is a level of the conversation about goals what is this person doing outside of the gym what is their occupation uh, do are they faced with things that even if they aren't tasked with deadlifting that type of weight, are there other forces at play here where their midline needs to be able to be trained to resist higher forces than what their body weight can provide? I think that that's another element of strength training that people misunderstand is like, just because I'm deadlifting heavier than my body weight doesn't mean that I'm tra only training to lift up objects that are heavier than my body weight. I'm putting more money in the bank in terms of what my midline, what my body can handle to be able to attack things outside of the gym and maybe do things that, you know, uh, would, would not be as easy if I didn't have that strength. So I understand the point. I think it depends on goals. I do think there is benefit to training heavier weights relative to where you're at in your life, where you're at in your fitness journey. And of course, training them safely and, and efficiently, not necessarily just kind of throwing caution to the wind and just trying to grab that barbell off the ground that is way too heavy for you. Jay, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I get they're trying to stir the pot a little bit with that one. I would probably disagree with them. I think that, um, so, you know, when I was in my early 20s, mid, late 20s, I had different goals. I was trying to compete professionally. I wanted to hit the biggest numbers possible. But as you get older and you mature, your goals change, but also your strength might decrease. And so one of the things that I would encourage people to think about is like, Right now, let's just say I'm in my mid thirties. If I only deadlift my body weight, that's it. And yeah, I could do tempo, this and that. But would I then start to see it fall off? Whereas if I could build a higher hedge and continue safely increasing my deadlift today, will that last me longer in the future? So if I'm working on my deadlift and I'm safely lifting 405, longer, 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 then eventually I get a little bit older, a little bit weaker, then it drops down to 355. I get a little bit older, a little bit weaker. So I wonder if putting money in the piggy bank, right, will, will benefit over time. So like for me, uh, you know, I have specific goals for myself, right? Based on just like arbitrary, like what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to snatch this, clean this. Um, and those numbers are relatively high compared to most people, but I want to hold them for as long as I can, because I know eventually I'm going to get weaker, but if I could keep them as high as I can, as safely as I can, for as long as I can, that's my goal. Um, I wouldn't put an arbitrary lower number on myself. I would try and strive to lift as much as I could safely and then maintain that for as long as I could. I, 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 kind, of, I kind of agree with that. Mostly agree with that. I think that there's, um, you know, a balance between like how, how much, how heavy you actually need. And I, there's probably a lot of people out there who don't lift as well as you who are lifting heavier than they need to, right? Like yeah. there's probably people out there who are pulling you know, 315 pound bar, 405 bar with crazy less than optimal mechanics, just because they can, doesn't mean that they necessarily should, you know, in terms of like, I'm, I was thinking about this body weight thing for the deadlift, because you don't want to set that you kind of just hit the nail on the head there a little bit too. But by the, the way, I, I just want to say that I don't remember exactly what the number they put out. I don't remember yeah. body yeah. weight, like 1.5 body weight, but they were essentially saying like, there's a point in relation to your body weight that you need to deadlift. And then anything else is like kind of unnecessary, but go ahead. 
For sure. You know, and let's pretend like, let's pretend like it doesn't matter what active life said. And let's just focus on somebody says, Hey, all you need to do is deadlift your body weight. Cause you're never going to pick up anything more than a hundred pounds outside of the walls of the gym, which is kind of true. When was the last time you went to home Depot and maybe you picked up a hundred pound feed bag, or like you picked up some soil, you're not picking up multiple hundreds of pounds worth of objects at once. But why would you want to set the bar, like Jason was saying, so low at the minimum where it's like, I only want to be able to do the absolute minimum. That is putting yourself on the razor's edge where if you do have to pick up something that's close to your body weight, let's say you weigh 155 pounds and you have to pick up a hundred pound object. That's a significant percentage in terms of what you weigh. So that's going to be a super heavy lift for you. Wouldn't you want to have the capacity to lift hundred pounds relatively easy if you wanted to be able to go and live your life without necessarily worrying about like getting hurt when you go to Home Depot to pick up a bag of rocks or something? I just think that setting the bar so low is dangerous as well. No, I, I, I agree. I, I like that hedge idea. Um, and there's also like a lot more benefits to these big compound lifts than just, oh, this is deadlift translates only to picking that off the ground, right? Like there's so much more that goes into being able to deadlift a heavy load. So yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you guys, but I think it's, it's an interesting conversation and it kind of goes hand in hand with how much complexity people need. I have a question for you guys. If, if it doesn't derail the conversation, it might not derail it, it bro. Be, derail it. It I got my be... last port going. I'm feeling fired <laughs> up, bro. I got, <laughs> Oh, this might stir the pot a little too much. We might go, ah, let's not talk about that. All right, here's the question. Is measuring fitness as power output complete nonsense? I'm going to say it again. Is measuring fitness as power output complete nonsense? I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and uh, I want to hear your guys' perspective on it because, you know, for a long time, especially if you came up through CrossFit, you were told this line that, like, your fitness is work capacity across broad time and modal domains, which essentially is a measure of your power output. And it was plotted on a graph where you had, you know, the amount of power uh, expressed in amounts of time and you wanted to get as much area underneath the curve. And that was your fitness. I'm thinking a lot about that and whether or not that's actually has any sort of relevance to people, the general population out there in terms of, what fitness is you know i i'll, I'll go first go, you know go for it, Gabe. yeah you know sitting down at, at at my level one like i still remember it like this thing gets presented to you and it it, it just kind of blows your mind and like i remember being like like that makes so much sense right like being able to like measure this and it feels so powerful and it just makes you feel like hey what we're doing what i'm going to do as a coach is something that like literally we can measure which also just personality wise, like I love. So for me, especially in the beginning, it just became such a big piece of the alert of what we do as, you know, functional fitness CrossFit coaches. Um, but over time and, you know, through my own fitness experience, you know, we use this example cause we've kind of talked about this in the past. Like, you know, there are definitely points where, you know, if my Fran time goes down 30 seconds, like my power output, like, is definitely higher, but there's been times in my fitness experience where yes, that has happened, but I don't feel as good. I 
maybe don't even look as good in, in terms of like what I want to look like and why I'm doing fitness. And like knowing all the things I know now about like what health is, like I definitely wasn't as healthy. So I think that like that breakdown has become very clear for me in my own kind of like fitness experience. But I understand that, you know, how we've come up as coaches, like when it first gets presented to you, just it, it makes so much sense that you, you, you become so immersed in like, I get it. This is fitness. This is health. It's measurable. It's black and white. And I think that just in general, we like things to be black and white, right? Like humans like things to not be nuanced and complicated. And I think that this idea that that's exactly what fitness means. And then, you know, over time, that's exactly what health means. It's so black and white that it's, it's, it's alluring, but I, I, I don't think it holds water if you, if you really think about it. Hmm. I, I, I kind of, so I want to ask like another uh, secondary question here, because the, the common example is like, all right, left Fran workout, right? 21, 15, nine thrusters and pull-ups. And let's say you score three minutes on that workout, but the fitness that you would plot on the graph is a calculation of the power that you generated during that workout. Is there any way humanly possible with any sort of statistical accuracy to actually do the equation to get a power output for that athlete in that workout? I'm, I'm, I'm being serious because I, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to think about as like a thought experiment yeah. where you're like, oh, well, yeah, you can measure the guy's hip down to the below parallel and or see the what the distance up. is. Exactly. You can put the weight on the guy's shoulder. But like, honestly, there's probably zero people out there who have really ever done the equation to get the power output. And there's less than zero people out there who are ever really with statistical accuracy doing the equation to get the actual power up. But there's so many variables too. Like so how much many. time did they take how, off? And like, did how, they short a few reps? All right. that kind of stuff. Anyway, range of motion. Uh, look, I think that when you say, is it nonsense? I'd say, no, I don't think it's nonsense. Um, I think it's theoretical. So I think in theory, it lays a framework like, Hey, we're trying to do more work in less time. We look at that as force times distance over time, right? In theory, if we're moving the same amount of weight, faster, we're getting fitter in theory, right? A good example would be, Hey, you got, you know, a hundred sandbags. You want to move them from point A to point B. If you get to do it faster, Hey, you're fitter than the other person. Right. Um, but I think in practical application, um, like, I, I don't think that anybody's actually measured, measured, measured on a consistent basis, more than potentially one workout, like an air squat that has mm. multiple variables with multiple, whatever, maybe an air squat, you could do that. But even then, do you count the, the descent or just the ascent? But either way, I think ultimately though, Gabe hit the nail on the head when he said that CrossFit, what they provided was a framework for what fitness was, which I think in itself was revolutionary because people started tracking um, and looking at the time. I was asked yesterday, what, what did CrossFit really open my eyes to? It was, it was a coach, a community, and a clock, those three. And the, the coach really taught me you know, to move well, the community kept me engaged and fired up, right? Whether it's, you know, meeting you guys or in our gyms or even through our digital communities, that made me feel like I was a part of something. It still does right through NC fit. And then ultimately the clock, the clock just changed the way I looked at fitness. And I don't know if we would have had that, had that 
what is fitness concept not been there? Regardless of if I've ever, I've never measured anything like that before. And I've done thousands and thousands of workouts. Has the, has the pendulum kind of swung too far on the clock side of things now? You know, we, we've talked about this a lot now with NC flex that's coming, oh, coming yeah. up and, um, you know, taking away that stress from workout, like has the pendulum swung too far and like, you know, it, people can't even handle seeing an EMOM or a for quality workout pop up in the program. They freak out. They're like, what do I measure? I think people have, so, okay. Years and years ago, you had like the bot. I'm just speaking for myself bodybuilding style workouts, no clock, no real sense of urgency, zero, right? You'd spend two hours and get mediocre work done. Then you switch and you go completely opposite, right? And you go, everything's for time. Everything is hardcore. And if it isn't, you're not effectively training. I do think that because of people like Marcus Philly and others who have opened the, the doors, um, I think that people are recognizing that it's not a zero sum game. Like you could do both and get very effective workouts, which is what MDV, I think, with NC Flex is, is talking about. So I do think the pendulum swung over here. And I think for some people, it's still over here. But as you mature, as you do more workouts, as you grow a little bit older, I think you realize like not every day you need to smash yourself. Like lately, I have been smashing myself. I'll be honest. Right before I got on the microphone with you guys, um, I was in the garage smashing myself um, because I'm training for something at the end of the month. But traditionally, I'm probably going at 10% less than I used to. I, you know, one of the things that I think I had some discussions with some really high level uh, coaches uh, in past couple of years about this, and um, I'm going to, they'll remain nameless now. But uh, one of the things that we were talking about was the vast majority of, you know, CrossFit, GPP, traditional style metabolic conditioning workouts are essentially aerobic workouts. I mean, they're, they're workouts that are, you know, uh, interval based type of aerobic training. Like you, it's not necessarily like when you look at a workout, that's, um, like a Fran style workout, like, yeah, there's some strength building that you're doing in that workout, but for the most part, you're, you're getting an aerobic type of workout out of that. So I think that some of it really, a lot of it is going to depend on what are your goals? Like, what do you want to do? Like, are you doing this style of fitness because it's uh, fun and it's also going to produce some results for you that are beneficial in terms of being able to, uh, you know, live your life better outside of the gym. You're going to get exposure to some new movements. You're going to be able to over time, increase some of the weights that you do in these workouts. You're going to develop some great cardiovascular capacity. I think those are all amazing benefits to doing GPP style workouts. But if somebody wanted to get really strong and they wanted to, uh, you know, in particular have a great aesthetic look, I, I would probably say, Hey, this is that type of workout will eventually get you there, you know, over time. But if your goals are to just get really strong and to look really good, there's probably a different style of workout out there that will get you there a little bit faster. Um, you know, a question yeah. that comes up in my head a lot is like, you know, let's say an athlete does Fran and they do it in three minutes and that that's like a hundred percent of their capacity. Like they go absolutely balls to the wall, bonkers, like the barbells all over the place. The pull-ups are bare, the chin's barely over the bar and they do a three minute Fran. Let's say the same athlete a couple of weeks later comes back and they do a six minute Fran or maybe like a five, whatever so in that range. 
but they do it like much more intentionally. They do it where the thruster, they're feeling the weight on the way down and they're actually getting the hip pop on the way up and they're finding full range of motion at the top. The pull-ups, let's say they still do kipping pull-ups, but they're doing like a really controlled type of gymnastics kipping pull-up where you are getting a good amount of lat engagement. You are popping and using the hip and the midline's engaged and you're not just kind of flailing there on the bar. Who technically out of those two athletes got a more beneficial workout in terms of fitness result? I think that the, the, the question is like really, uh, uh, it's kind of up for debate. Like the person who does the three minutes at like 110 of their capacity or the person who really felt every single movement. That's a really good question. So I want to just do two things and then Gabe, we can talk about this. One thing that Chris Hinshaw taught me is that you don't always need to throttle all the time to get really effective results. When we would see programs from CrossFit, uh, 400 meter repeats for 10 sets, right? I would go out and I would go balls to the wall on the first one and try and hang on for the next X amount. That was just the way I did it. Then Chris came in and really started talking about pacing and understanding that. And, and I got such effective workouts from Chris when I had specific goals and paced it effectively, it was, it was unimaginable the results that I got through training with him versus who I was training before, which just proved to me that, that there was value in, in slow and consistent with goal setting. But then Hani Rambod and I were training the other day, and this is, I think, to MDV's point, I just want to bring it up. Hani Rambod is now officially a 20-time Mr. Olympia coach. Uh, in terms of bodybuilding, he's like the go-to. So I'm training with him the other day and we're doing like some cable crossover machine or whatever. And he's asking me like really feel my muscle. And I'm like, dude, I, I, this is all foreign to me, right? I've never thought about feeling my muscle. I always think about the function I'm performing. So I'm doing, um, I think uh, I'm doing cable crossover into a uh, uh, dip. And as I'm doing these movements, he's like going up to me, touching my muscle and say, I want you to feel it here. Like essentially bring the bar or bring the position to here and get the pump in that. And it just kind of alluded to what I think you're talking about MDV, which is like, when you try and pump the muscle, when you try and grow a specific area, when you're trying to add value to something on your body and you're focusing intentionally on it, maybe on your lat on the way up on a pull-up, for example, are you getting more out of that pump? than if you were just being super dynamic the whole time, but instead you added a little bit of resistance or, or static positions. Um, talking to Hani, I think he would think the second guy in your Fran example got more benefit from it. Um, yeah. It, it's a really interesting question for me because you have one person who's out there pushing their physical limits in terms of their aerobic and cardiovascular capacity, probably also pushing their mental limits, right? They, they are breaking through a barrier there that maybe they've never broken through before. But then on the other hand, you have a person who's working pretty darn hard. You know, a five or six minute Fran is nothing to, to sneeze at. That's a, you're still moving quickly, but now you're also actually, like you said with Hani, you're feeling the weight in the squat and maybe the attention to the mechanics is higher. You're actually feeling the barbell on your legs. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think that this question kind of is one of those that comes up in my mind quite a bit lately. Yeah. I, th I think that that five, six minute Fran approach is needed significantly more often than the three minute Fran approach. And both of them are necessary, but I think that right now it's, 
everyone sees it at like, you know, I have to beat the time. It's all about like, how can I beat my PR? Um, and there isn't that attention to what, you know, like you said, like, you know, five, six minutes, it's not like you're, you know, cruising. Um, you are moving very fast. You're getting the intensity that's supposed to be like, you know, the magic of this type of training. Um, but you're also doing it in a way where you're challenging yourself in a different way by being super focused and super intentional what you're doing, which I mean, you can make the argument is, is something that we're lacking in many areas of our lives, right? Like we're, we're rushing through everything. Everything is about like the end result, the instant gratification. And I think we can all benefit from being more intentional in things that we're doing, you know, training being an, an, an obvious uh, example of that. But it's an interesting conversation, man. It's, it's, I think it's a really, I think it's a really good one. I think it needs to be had more often and um, have, go to it with an open mind, right? Um, training and fitness, you know, especially like for a lot of people, it, it's not as complicated as people say, you just got to get moving and stay consistent with it. But when you start getting these higher levels and you've been doing this a really long time, I still think being open-minded is super important and recognizing that there's value in a variety of different ways of training. You know, I think early on in CrossFit, you'd hate on the bodybuilders. Now, slowly you're like, man, those guys got something right. What could we learn from them? Or you'd hate, you know, I, I think the more that we can be open to other ideas, the better. And I think it carries over back into your sport. Like, dude, Chandler Smith and I were talking about this. Like, I, I think him, he, he still does jujitsu two days a week and he's a professional CrossFit athlete. I, that blows my mind because I think he thinks that it carries over into his ability on the, on the competition floor. Absolutely. I think that that, you know, Jason, what you just highlighted there is probably the biggest fundamental flaw in the history of CrossFit being introduced into the fitness realm is the fact that, you know, when it, when it was, it, it kind of came out as being, this is the way. And in a lot of people's minds, they started talking about it as the only way. And, you know, I think it's, it's a way and it's a really, it can be a very fruitful journey for a lot of people, not only for the physical benefits, but like you talked about before, for the coaching benefits and the, the community benefits. But there are so many ways out there for people to gain fitness. And it, it, it's highly dependent also on who you are, what you're into, what are your goals? CrossFit is an awesome avenue for a lot of people. It will never be for some people, but you know, I, I really do think that like, it was probably a disservice to come out and be so aggressive and so hard and so kind of closed minded that this is the only thing that really matters anymore. Or maybe that's the reason why it took steam, you know? Um, you know, you guys are always talking about if you're for everyone, you're for no one, right? They came out and they said, Hey, I'm going to have pukey the clown as the, as the whatever. And I'm going to be that hardcore. And I remember, dude, I mean, I traveled the country just like you did rocking that shirt. And it stood for this aggressive, like hardcore fitness. And I don't know what would have changed actually MDV. I'm really curious if from the get-go, it had been a little bit less, in your face. I don't know if it would have caught the type of steam that it did. Yeah. It's a, it's another interesting one to think about. And I'm not saying to go the complete opposite course, direction yeah. and, you know, be you know so soft and just be like, well, you know, uh, this is okay over here as well. Like, you know, like, you know, the, the puke is a really cool, a really cool, not cool example, but another interesting topic. And like, 
how much the games were promoted as being what CrossFit represented. And, you know, the marketing partnership with Reebok is highlighting athletes at the absolute pinnacle of the sport. You know, it led to in, insane growth of what CrossFit is and was in, you know, not only the United States, but across the world. But it also influenced the brand's perception in a way to the general public that created some hurdles for a lot of people to ever want to try this thing that can be very beautiful and beneficial if you're not an insanely talented Jason Kalipas looking athlete, right? There's a lot of people who, no matter what happens over the next five, 10 years, will never walk through the doors of a CrossFit gym because of the stuff that they've either heard or seen. Yeah. It goes both ways. Right. Um, but I mean, dude, I'm, I'm, you know, this morning I was getting after it. I've been, I've been yesterday, for example, um, I did a, a morning session, uh, an afternoon, like an evening thing. So I've been, it's been fun. I've been ramping up my training a little bit. It reminds me of the, the back in the day. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to take a strategic approach for the rogue invitation, which is coming out at the end of the month. And, uh, it's, it just reminds me like there is still a large demographic of people who love the sport of fitness. Um, and then there's a lot of people who are interested in other stuff. And I think that this idea of trying different things, like right now I'm getting ready for this competition. Uh, I, I did a century ride what a month ago, and then I'm debating, this is something we should talk about later, uh, of recruiting Hani to be a, to be my coach, to do a physique, uh, uh, bodybuilding show. Not the one where you're in like a super small speedo, but like the one where you're in like a, uh, uh, like a, uh, board, board shorts. shorts. And the reason for it, the motivation for me is like, I have no, um, I don't have any, uh, regrets when it comes to CrossFit. I think that I reached my, I think I reached my potential and I think that, uh, life happened and I had to pivot and I'm okay with that. I, I, I rest easy with that. But I am curious from a physique perspective, what is possible? Uh, it does interest me a little bit. Uh, anyways, trying different yeah. things, man. In a whole nother lane to push your, your, your body, your willpower, your discipline. It's a, yeah, I, I've never, uh, I've never pushed myself to the limits of what those people who compete in those types of physique and bodybuilding competitions have to do to be stage ready. It's a whole next level of discipline. It's going to be super exciting if, if you end up doing it to, to kind of follow that journey and, and, you know, get it from the, the horse's mouth itself. But um, another thing that I saw on social media and uh -oh. not, not to derail the conversation, I, I thought it was super interesting and I want to give him a shout out. You know, I know that you guys have both, you know, been on his podcast, had him on your podcast, but our, our buddy, Stu Brower, um, made that post about retiring from the brick and mortar business at, at 35, you know, he's, he's getting out of the brick and mortar game. Um, really cool post about just how through 10 years, he built that brand urban movement, got into some commercial real estate and now has a lease in place for the commercial real estate that he owns that essentially is allowing him to retire at 35 and kind of focus on building, you know, generational wealth now for his family. And, you know, I think financial literacy is one of those things that's just an issue overall, but I, I and Jason, you might know this better than me, but I, I think it's definitely something that's lacking in our space specifically, um, you know, gym owners and coaches alike. And, and one thing that really st stuck in the back of my mind from when Sal did his culture seminar was how he was saying that, you know, he builds this culture of 
helping his people with things outside of just pay, right? And he had that example of if someone that works for him comes up to him and asks him like, hey, I'm trying to buy a house. Like, what do you recommend? Like, you know, talking about things like that, like he would love to support them, even though that doesn't directly support first form and like his role in the company, but it just builds this culture of like, you know, supporting his people in an area that I think a lot of people need supporting, which is, you know, financial literacy. So I'm curious what you guys think, you know, maybe the role of maybe us as leaders in the spaces to kind of help, you know, uh, gym owners and coaches, which we're so passionate about in this kind of area that maybe isn't super direct or just the role of like a gym owner to educate themselves so they can provide that education to, to their coaches. Cause I think it's so important, right? It's so, so, so important. Um, and it's, it, it seems to be lacking. Well, I'll, I'll just take a quick stab at this. Um, I will be talking to Stu actually tomorrow. Um, he'll be on the podcast. So I want to talk about this exact subject. Um, but I think as a gym owner, you really have two ways of like doing this. If let's assume it's your full-time gig option. A is the way that he did it where you essentially pay the mortgage down by buying a building and your business creates revenue to pay it down, like to pay the mortgage, pay the mortgage, pay your mortgage. And then eventually maybe you pivot and you lease that out to somebody else. Basically exactly what Stu did. Now in California, it's a little bit tough, but in hindsight, I wish we had done it differently in hindsight, but hindsight is 2020 because if you buy a building right out, let's just say tomorrow you go buy a building and you want to buy it 2000 square feet. Well, what if that's way too small for your business model? Or maybe you go way too big and you buy something 20,000 square feet. I think once you refine how many square feet you need for your business, that's a good step in the right direction. And then also you got to look at cash flow. If you're putting down 20% on a building or 10% if you're doing SBA loans, you know, that's cash flow or cash that you can't put in for TIs and build outs that the landlord might be able to do. But at the same time, you're also then paying somebody's mortgage instead of paying your own. So I think a option for gym owners is to look at purchasing their building or purchasing the building. There's pros and cons, like the ones I just said. The other option is that they could just cash flow the business and then eventually get to a point where they could get out of the business and someone else is running it. And then therefore it's just a cash flowing business that they could then go off and go do other projects and, or that is their retirement plan is that they're going to have this business that runs on its own. I think those are a couple options. And we need to be more real as gym owners and coaches about what are our financial expectations and how much can a gym actually make and what are your goals as an individual? People don't really think about that as much before they start this. They do it because they love it. And I think that's really important, but we need to bridge the gap between what you love and what's reality as well. And the reality is if you want to make a million dollars a year off a single site, take home income, it's probably not going to happen. Um, how can we get there if that's your goal? It's probably gonna be multiple sites or diversified revenue streams. So did Stu close his gyms? Or that's so right. He so Stu Stu had urban movement in one location in Atlanta or Georgia. He owned the building. He then had an opportunity from like a I want to say it was a brewery, but don't quote me on that. Someone like that to come in and lease it at a at a prime rate. Um, and that's his exit. Gotcha. So which is he, I'm really interested to listen to the conversation that you have with him eventually, because I, he was out there selling this license model for urban movement, you know, Correct. like it was the best thing since sliced bread for a while. And, you know, I, good for him that he has exited out and he's figured out what he wanted to do, but is he still, 
in the game of selling those licenses or is it now he's completely shut that part of his business down and, and moving onward? Well, obviously we'll get more information from him on the podcast, but when I talked to him a couple of days ago, essentially he rolled out a license program and he had something a little bit unique and whatnot, but this opportunity came up. And so he may pivot the license to a couple of his like head coaches or some other people, but he is out of the game from that. He'll do consulting. He'll do some other stuff, but he's out of the fit, uh, brick and mortar uh game so no i as far as i'm concerned Stu is not doing any licenses but i'll find out more on the podcast yeah, of course it's gonna be a really interesting conversation yeah but i think that's a that's a really good thing for an owner to look at gabe um is you know if you're sitting there and you're three four five six years in you know what what is the strategy and um you know something i think about right is like what is the strategy and and you know it's, it's funny though last night i was having a conversation with my wife we have a friend of ours who made a, a lot of money off stock, a lot, a lot of money. Um, around here in the Bay Area, it's not uncommon to make a significant amount of money off stock if you find the right company. And, but they're looking to exit and go find another startup in the future because they're not very fulfilled because they're now at this giant conglomerate where they used to be in like, they used to feel like they could actually make an impact with their decision-making. Now they just feel like they're a part of the spoke and they're not really making any decision-making. And I told Ash, I said, you know, it, even if I had all the money in the world, I think I'd still be doing what I'm doing today. I would just like less stress potentially because money wouldn't be an issue, right? Let's just say, but I'd still want to be doing the same type of work. And that was super rewarding for me to come to that realization because there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. I think a lot of owners hopefully have that same perspective. The question is, how do you get to a point where you're financially successful enough where that isn't a burden on you? You might love what you do, but if you're not making any money, that starts to draw you down. I think based on a lot of conversations and you've had a lot more of these than I've had Jay, but you know, I've, I've kind of been able to be a fly on the wall for some of them. I think a lot of gym owners and I think coaches a little bit, but more gym owners since they're, you know, signing a lease and they're, they're going to be held liable are taking too much of this, like build a plane as I fly it approach to the business side and the financial side of things, instead of really kind of spending the due diligence on, Hey, what is it that I need to take? take home to not just make it, but like be happy and feel fulfilled and never have resentment that I started this business and develop a plan to get there. Uh, and, and then, you know, constantly reassess that plan to see, Hey, am I on track or does something need to change? Um, instead, they're just kind of going year over year and being like, until it gets to the point where, you know, they're, they're frustrated or, you know, they end up having to close down. Whereas, you know, having a plan could have helped mitigate that. And obviously COVID has been a huge, just no one saw that coming. And it's been really tough for a lot of people. But I think that having a plan beforehand and being able to reassess and, and, and pivot is, is super important, something not a lot of gym owners are doing. Well, first off, I think this is a really important conversation. Uh, if you're part of the collective, hit us up on the Facebook group, we can talk more about this or, or hit us up on social media, right? But I will like kind of like put up, like, I'll, I'll share this. As a business owner, one of the toughest things to do is put the cart in front of the horse. Um, meaning when you hire a Gabe or you hire, you know, or the business hires a new CFO or the business hires a new coach or the business hires anybody, oftentimes it's always going to feel like, shit, man, this is a new expense for the business. I don't know if we can cover it. But unless you do those things and you hire the right people, you'll never get to that freedom or that point where the business can grow. So I would encourage owners to sit and evaluate and say, hey, they might want to hire a new coach, but they think they can't afford it. 
but you'll never be able to afford a coach unless you hire a coach. So do the right thing and take your time. But like, we wouldn't be where we're at as an organization if we didn't hire and go out on a limb and hire, you know, bring MDV into the company or bring a Gabe or bring a Matt or whoever. But each time we did those hires, it was scary. And we had to go out on a limb and kind of for a little bit, put the cart in front of the horse. But then if you find the right person, the job, they'll pay for their salary within a few months and you'll never regret doing it. So I would encourage owners to think through that a little bit, because although it's scary, if you don't do it, you'll never be able to grow to a point where you could actually have that financial position. Oh, come on. It wasn't scary to hire me. You knew, you knew. Okay. <laughs> I'm just using these. You know what I mean though. No, I'm I using know. these I'm as examples. Like, um, I have one more thing and then I know we're like at our hour sweet spot, but I saw this on the morning chocolate this morning, Austin being thrown up is maybe one of the, uh, one of the cities oh, to take gosh. over the games. Yeah. It's all happening Austin, in Texas. Denver, when are you guys coming? Ma- I, I think, I think Austin and Texas in general is going to get kind of ticked off with all these Californians and people from all these other states moving <laughs> there. So there might, <laughs> it might be a rebellion. Yeah, it might be uh, yeah. there might be some resistance to that. No, that's pretty cool. Austin is certainly becoming a, um, a sweet spot in the, uh, the United States for a lot of really interesting stuff that's happening in the world of technology in the world of jujitsu. And that would be really cool in the world of fitness. If the, uh, the games went there as well, there's a lot of really cool stuff happening in Austin. I'm going to Austin in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, MDV probably has a higher likelihood of moving out to Austin before I do. Um, <laughs> I am, I am as, as much as I'd love to, you know, live elsewhere. I mean, I, I'm here in California and I'm uh, that the family and we, hella, we're locked in. Hella right? rooted. I'm, I'm hella, I'm hella rooted in NorCal. Um, dude, you know, what's so funny about these conversations is, is we could keep going for a really long time. Um, we want to, you know, continue to do these on a, on a regular basis. So I just appreciate you guys taking the time to, to always just riff about different subjects. And I think there's, there's so many we could talk about fitness and not as fitness related, right. But a little bit more lifestyle. This one was a little bit more fitness focused, of course, but I think it was, I think it's a good conversation. The Fran one's a really good one is a three minute or a five minute better. That's an interesting topic. It's good stuff, man. I mean, I know I told you the other day, Jay, I, I, I love these man, because if, if I had the opportunity of like, Hey, the three of us grab coffee once a week, um, I'd, I'd take you guys up on it right away. And if we can let other people in on the conversations even better. So appreciate you guys. Let's do it again soon. And, um, yeah wrap it up hey bro i was drinking this uh so mdv's <laughs> got uh last port coffee um, lastportcoffee.com lastportcoffee.com go see at mdv <laughs> underscore fit, fit uh, underscore fit and then you got gabe yanez uh if you live outside of austin texas you want to go to the farmer's market you can find his freshly what, what can you find gabe asher race pork the best <laughs> best most delicious pork you'll, you'll you'll ever be able to get Okay, if you're outside, what area is that? If you're in the Austin, San Antonio area, we're even trying to, we're actually trying to reach out to a couple of local gyms to set up drop-offs because I think it'd be really cool for, you know, kind of like local gym communities really love this stuff. So farmer's market, a little bit different. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'll let you guys know when that's, that's all set up. I love it. Well, thanks guys. And uh, I'll talk to you guys again soon. See ya. See ya.